this week on Hope for the Broken. When we allow fear to take roots in our hearts and our minds, we begin believing things that are not real. We often think the same thing when it comes to taking kingdom risk. I'm not as gifted as so-and-so. Listen, it is my experience that God never calls those who seem to have all the qualifications. He calls the people that don't have the qualifications and he equips them so that they are dependent upon him and he receives the glory. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called Real Questions, Biblical Answers. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part seven titled, How Do I Overcome My Fear of Failure? Let me encourage you to grab your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 25 here this morning as we continue our teaching series that we've been in entitled Real Questions, Biblical Answers. And they're real questions because we fielded questions from those of you that have been in attendance throughout the summer. And we're taking time to answer those real questions. And the heart of the matter is, is that we'd be driven to the scriptures, driven to the Bible to find the answers to the questions that many of us have. Today, we're tackling the question, um, how do I overcome my fear of failure? Uh, that perhaps that's a question that all of us at one time or another have, have asked. Because if we're honest, fear is a part of our lives. In fact, I want to play a little game here together to start. Uh, this, is, this is called All Skate, right? This is where we're all on the skating rink. At one time, we all participate here together. If I call a fear, would you just raise your hand? Let me see who all's afraid of these fears. How many of you are afraid of heights? Anybody afraid of heights? Okay. Y'all don't go bungee jumping. You don't step on airplanes, right? Things like that. How many of you are afraid of snakes? Okay, there's a reason why the devil entered a serpent, right? They have been the devil from the beginning. Amen on that, right? The fear of snakes. How many of you have claustrophobia? Like, you like your space, right? COVID was the best thing for you because everybody's social distance. They kept out of your space, right? There was no close talkers, right? Um, those are very real fears. But here's the thing that I want us to also know about fears. Fears are not necessarily things that cause us anxiety that are objects. Uh, Sometimes our fears are are created in our minds. For example, uh, many of us fear our fellow man, fear other people. Not from the standpoint that they're going to jump out and scare you, but from the standpoint that we often operate in a way in which we wonder what they're going to think about us. Have you ever wondered what somebody's saying about you or what what they would say if you made this certain kind of decision? And and that sense of fear kind of maybe caused you to, to pick a certain decision or to make a certain decision. You made that out of fear of your fellow man. Um, fear is a very real reality. We all suffer with, to some degree, some level of fear. And so today, I want us to look at Matthew chapter 25 uh, as we examine ways that we can overcome fear. 
I want us to look at this parable. Uh, and at first glance, this parable isn't going to have anything to do with overcoming the fear of failure. But I want to zoom in on the second part of the, the message today and show you what fear of failure has done to this particular servant. And then I want us to examine what are some practical tools, some ways that we can overcome fear in our lives. And so that will serve kind of as our outline here this morning as we tackle this very question. But I want you to know this. Uh, fear is not just common to us. It's common to all the characters of the Bible. I, I mean, you can name countless numbers of characters in the scripture. And the thing that I love about the scriptures is the authenticity to see how biblical characters, heroes of our faith, actually struggled with many of the same things that you and I struggle with today. Think about Noah. Noah faced a huge fear of failure, right? He's building a giant ark in a region that has never seen rain. Can you imagine what's going through his head? Like, what if this doesn't happen? <laughs> like, what if it doesn't rain Then I've built this giant boat? And, and for what? Moses faced fear when God asked him to go to Pharaoh. And he, and he says, wait a minute, God, you got the wrong guy. I can't speak well. Send somebody else. He had a fear. Esther dealt with fear when she approached the king to ask for mercy on behalf of the Jews because the king could have had her killed. Gideon faced fear when his army was whittled down and he had to face an enormous foe. Daniel faced fear when the law was, was issued that you could not pray. Mary, Jesus' mother, faced the fear of rejection. She was chosen to carry a baby out of wedlock, no less. Can you imagine the fear of rejection that maybe sat in her heart? The apostles all throughout the New Testament battled the, the fear of even their own lives as they shared the gospel with boldness. We see at every page of the scriptures where people had to overcome fear in their life. And the Bible is filled with exa examples of, of these people. And so uh, let's examine Matthew chapter 25. I first want to teach the parable, and then we'll zoom in on fear. So let's begin Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14. Jesus is teaching, and he's saying, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Now, chapter 25 of Matthew is part of what is known as the Olivet Discourse. And the reason why it's called the Olivet Discourse is because Jesus is teaching, he's having this conversation with his disciples on the Mount of Olives. But the Olivet Discourse has a very specific subject. It's about the return of Christ. And Jesus began t teaching about his second coming because the disciples asked him about it. The disciples asked a question. They said, Jesus, how are we going to know when you're going to bring your kingdom? When you're going to establish your kingdom, how will we know that? And so in chapter 24, Jesus talks about the signs of the end times, which he calls are the birthing pains of his second coming. And then in verse 25, chapter 25, rather, he goes into this parable, the parable of the ten virgins. And what this, these teaching is what it's like to anticipate to, to look forward to the return of Christ. And then in verse 14, he uses the parable of the talents to teach what is it that we're supposed to be doing while we are anticipating Jesus' return. So when it says, for it will be like, Jesus is talking about his second coming. What will his second coming be like? 
And what he's doing is he's, he's going on a journey. He, he's going to come back again, and he entrusts his servants with his property to be about his work while he is away. And entrusting to us, trusting to his disciples, what is his so that we can be about his business. That's what this parable is about. Now look at verse 15. To one he gave five talents, to another two to another one, to each according to his ability, then he went away. A couple of things that stand out here that I want to talk about here. What is a talent? You know, I think we have a tendency to read our modern, modern day vernacular into talent and think that it's referring to some sort of ability, right? Some sort of gift that somebody has, a, a talent that they have, like Jared Wood is talented, right? Our worship band, are they not talented? They're incredible, right? And so a lot, oftentimes when we read talent, that's what we're talking about here. But that's not what talent is here. Talent in the biblical context is a weight. It's a way to measure something. In particular, it's usually used to measure silver or gold. So it's used in measuring an amount of money. Now, a talent is a significant weight. It's a heavy weight. And, and so when, this, when this, he's using this parable, he's talking about financially, but you need to understand that a talent of, of gold would be about 20 years worth of salary. So you think about that. Multiply that uh, to the one that had five, the one that had two, and the one that had one. So it's a significant weight. Now, the other thing that we need to know about that is that when we read this today, we don't need to just think money. We need to think a totality of the resources, a totality of the assets in which we've been given. Our time, our abilities, and our treasure. Our time, talent, and treasure. So spiritual assets, but not just spiritual assets, but also material Assets, And so that's what Jesus is getting at here. Invest whatever it is that he has given you. Now, the second thing that stands out here in this passage is the differing amounts. We have a tendency to read this and say, wait a minute, what about the poor guy who only got one? I mean, compare that to the one that got double that and the one that got five times that. Why, why are there these differing amounts? Well, Jesus says that the master made that decision based upon each person's ability. The person does not have a say in how much they received. That was doled out by the master. And one can look at this as being unfair. Right? It's not fair that he gave one five times 20 years of salary and the other one just one. But here's what I want you to know at the very beginning of this parable. And it's important whenever we come to the conversation about operating with a basis of fear. These servants will not be evaluated on their return. Rather, they are going to be evaluated on the investment that they made. That's important. God is not so much concerned about the results as much as he is concerned about using what he's given us. That's going to come to bear when we talk about the fear of failure. So don't get caught up in the amounts. But nonetheless, we can identify with, with the amounts, can't we? Like, have you ever wondered why some people, like Jared, can sing, and then you have me? Like, I can't carry a tune in the bucket, right? Like, like I don't even make a joyful noise. 
Uh, when, when, if they were to turn on my mic during worship, all of you would leave. I promise you, it is that terrible. So why would he, Jared, and our band have that ability and me, nothing? Uh, again, we, we get sidetracked here. We think about what each person has instead of what the ultimate goal is. God asks us to use whatever it is that we have. Don't lose focus in this parable, okay? So let's see what each of these servants do with what they've been given. I'm gonna read from verse 16 all the way through 27, and then we're gonna begin unpacking this on what this has to do with fear. It says in verse 16, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now he who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was mine own with interest. Again, the first guy had five talents, yielded five talents more. The second guy had two talents, yielded two talents more. The amount is not the focus. It's what they did with what they were given. The first two servants invested what they had been given, and the third one didn't. The first two servants worked hard with what they had given. The third one didn't. The first two servants were excited when the master returned. The third one wasn't. And so this story has everything to do with fear because it was the fear of the third servant that caused him to do nothing. When we fear, we're often paralyzed, as we're going to see. So let's zoom in here. This man said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Now that's going to be important in just a second. Reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I hid your talent in the ground. The difference between the first two servants and the third is the fear of failure. The fear of failure. And so I want to look at what fear does to us as we look at this third servant. And then I want to give you three tools to overcoming the fear of failure in your life. First, what does fear do to us? Number one, fear causes us to focus on untruths. Fear causes us to lose focus on what is true and to only see that which is not true. When we allow fear to take roots in our hearts and our minds, we begin believing things that are not real. 
Two truths this third servant believed. Number one, he probably believed, he probably believed the master to be unfair. Look at what other people had given versus what I have been given. I imagine he thought, well, if they lose one talent, it's no big deal. They have more resources. If I lose one talent, then I have nothing left. And so there's this, there's this reasoning due to comparison. Little of me, I only have one talent. I can't do as much as them, so I need to protect this. We often think the same thing when it comes to taking kingdom risk. I'm not as gifted as so-and-so. I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I'm not going to share the gospel. That, that per, that's for that person over there because they're really good at it. And, and we begin to make ourselves less and less and less useful for the kingdom because we're comparing our giftings to other people's giftings. And what happens is we wind up hiding our gift. Listen, it is my experience and it is my own testimony that God never calls those who seem to have all the qualifications. He calls those who don't have the qualifications that have to depend upon him, and he equips that person to do that task in which he has asked them to do. Listen, if you knew me in high school, you would not be, you'd be blown away that I am standing here today. Uh, you can ask my wife. She was my anatomy lab partner in high school. So it, it's a miracle that she married me, right? I, I was the most quiet, most reserved human. And when God called me into the ministry, I told him, no way will I ever stand before people and teach the Bible. And I see him laughing at me today, right? God never qual- calls the people who have all the qualifications. He receives no glory that way. He calls the people that don't have the qualifications and he equips them so that they are dependent upon him and he receives the glory. Amen? And so that's what's vitally important. You can't compare yourself. You can't believe that untruth. That is a lie of the devil that you are not gifted enough in order to serve the kingdom as effectively. It's a lie that you cannot believe. It's an untruth. There's another untruth that the servant focused on. And it's in verse 24. He says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. This third servant had a different view of this master than the previous two. Look at what he's accusing the master of. He's saying that you're an unreasonable man. You're a hard man. Others didn't think that. What else did he say? He said that he stole and got what he got by taking advantage of other people, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Now keep in mind, because the servant says this does not mean that it's true of the master. It's just this one servant's perspective, this one servant's assessment. By the way, I think it's untrue, because if it were true, don't you think the other two servants would have said the same thing? Master, I knew you to be a hard person, so I went and made five more talents. You don't see that. And so I believe that this is an untruth that this third servant has built up in their own head. Look at verse 26 and 27. It says, but the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. Oh, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed? You see the question mark there? 
What the master's doing is he's calling his bluff. Did you really believe that? Well, if you believe that, then why didn't you have invest my money with the bankers? And at my coming, I would have received what was mine with a little bit of interest. The master is calling his bluff. Do you see the untruth here? Fear causes us to believe that which is not true. It causes us to focus on untruths. It creates worry in our heart. It builds anxiety in our heart. And the result of that is holding on to that which is untrue and dismissing that which is true. You know, I mentioned several months ago in a teaching series that I did on worry and anxiety that a study I read said that 85% of what we worry about never comes to fruition. Isn't that true? So fear creates this worry about something that will probably not come true. And so you see what fear does to us. It causes us to believe untruths. The second thing that fear does is fear paralyzes us. Verse 25, I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. In other words, I was so afraid I did nothing. It felt too risky. I was paralyzed. Do you see it? So here's the question that I've been asking myself this week that I want you to ask yourself in light of this. What are the risks that God is calling you to take on for his kingdom? Let me give you a couple of ideas. A new ministry God has laid on your heart. Pursuing foster parenting or adoption. Joining our missions team on a trip. A new career. Tithing. Sharing your faith with your coworker. Tackling a challenge in your marriage. Or forgiving that person that wronged you. Those are scary tasks, right? I mean, what if it fails? What if it's really hard? What if it creates hardship? What if I don't have enough money? But what if I'm rejected? It seems too vulnerable. What if it doesn't work out? Those are the questions that a fearful person asks. It's not the questions that a faithful person asks. Why? Because a faithful person will realize that God is always faithful. God, what are you calling me to that's bigger than myself? God, what am, what am I going to do when I step out on faith? It's nerve-wracking, but I'm going to trust you with it. You see the different types of questions? And when we ask questions that are fearful, it paralyzes us. It keeps us trapped. It, it keeps us trapped in a, in a spirit of fear. But God's Word says that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but one of power and of a sound mind. What is it that God is calling you to because it's worth the risk if it's for the kingdom? So I want to talk about practical ways to battle this. I want to look at tools to overcoming fear of failure. Three tools. Number one, I want you to know something today. You are gifted. You are gifted. If you are in Christ, you are gifted. In other words, you are resourced to do kingdom work. Uh, scripture teaches that when we trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior, you know what happens? The Holy Spirit takes up residence in our heart, in our soul. And the Holy Spirit brings with him spiritual gifts. Now next week, we're going to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about some of those giftings. But you're gifted. 
Uh, the, the three servants in this story were gifted. They were resourced. Listen, you, if you are in Christ, have everything you need to advance the kingdom of God. I, I know so many people that are like, there's no way I could do that because th- they only focus on their fears. No, listen, you are gifted. If you are in Christ, you are gifted. And whatever it is that God is calling you to, he will see to it that you can achieve. I heard one piece pastor say, God specializes in using ordinary people to do extraordinary things. I like that. God specializes in using ordinary people for extraordinary things. Don't allow fear to paralyze you and to never use your gifts. Remember, the master in the parable was only concerned with one thing, how faithful the servants were with what he gave him. This is a picture of when we meet Jesus face to face. He will only be concerned with one thing, not your results, but what you did with what he gave you. This is what it means to be faithful and to choose faith over fear. Secondly, focus on your true identity. We live in a culture that seeks to define us based upon our successes or defines us based upon our failures. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, that is not where your identity lies. Your identity does not lie in your success or in your failure. Your identity lies as a child of God, uniquely gifted, uniquely positioned for kingdom work. Consider the people that we would say today are successful and the failures they first encountered. Michael Jordan couldn't make a high school basketball team, only becomes the greatest of all time in the NBA. Thomas Edison, how many times did he fall, fail? Abraham Lincoln was a political failure, yet today he has a monument on the National Mall. We put too much stock in failure and too much stock in success. When you are obedient to what it is that God has called you, you are successful. That's important. It's what we do with what God has given us, not the outcome. The identity doesn't come from what you do. It comes from whose you are. You are in Christ. The thing that we learn about the parable of the talents is the first two really knew their master, and the third one didn't. The first two was excited when their master came back. The third one wasn't. Why? What's the difference? Because the first two truly knew the master. And they knew what the master desired of them. The third one did not know the master. Listen, you need to know whose you are because there is confidence and there is freedom in knowing that you are a child of God. Believe that. By the way, God says, if God it be for us, who could be against us, right? So realize that you're gifted. Focus on your identity. Thirdly, increase your view of God. Theologian and author J.I. Packer wrote one of my favorite books of all time called Knowing God. If you're looking for a good read, pick it up. It's an incredible read. But at the beginning of the book, he talks about the need to increase our view of God. 
Because the bigger that we see God, the more that we understand who he is. He uses an illustration to open up his book. And he talks about what happens when we look through the wrong end of a telescope. Have you ever done that? Look through the the wrong end of a telescope. What happens when you look through the wrong end of a telescope? Everything shrinks into pygmy sizes. But when you look through the correct end of a telescope, everything enlarges. He said that he is convinced that far too many Christians are looking at God through the wrong end of the telescope, so reducing God to pygmy proportions. Therefore, we doubt God's ability. Therefore, we don't trust God with everything that we have. Therefore, we operate in fear because we don't understand the enormous magnitude of our God. But if we flip it around, we come to know that we can trust God, pursue God. What God has called us to, we can have confidence in. We need to increase our view of God. Three tools to overcoming fear of failure in your life. Listen, there is nothing that you could risk that would not be worth it for the kingdom of God. There's nothing that you could risk that wouldn't be worth it for the kingdom of God. I want to share with you the time that my view of failure changed. Not saying that it's perfect and not saying that I never struggle with fear, because I do, but let me tell you when my perspective on it changed. Uh, the semester that I was enrolled in seminary in which Kathy and I were engaged, um, I was taking my favorite seminary class of, of my entire studies. It was Models of Church Planting. And we took a look at church plants, not only in the United States, but all over the world. Some were massive churches and some were teeny tiny churches that were exploding. And we began to examine the models that they were using to set up church. One of the churches that we studied was a church in Honolulu, Hawaii, called New Hope, New Hope Church. Well, at the end of that semester, Kathy and I were blessed to be sent uh, by my parents on a honeymoon to Honolulu, and we happened to be there on a Sunday, and so I told Kathy, I said, I know where I want to go to church today. I want to see the church that I studied in seminary. I want to see it in action, and so we went to Honolulu High School. How would you like to go to high school there? (laughs) Honolulu High School, where this church was meeting in the theater of the high school. And it was packed. Every seat was taken, and there were overflow rooms going on. But when we walked in, I noticed that there were ballots in every seat. They were obviously going to take a vote on something. If if you're familiar with the, have you ever heard the name Wayne Cadero? Pastor Wayne Cadero, he's an author. He's the pastor, founding pastor of New Hope. And after the first song, Wayne, Pastor Wayne came up on the stage and he welcomed everybody and he said, hey, listen, we need to, to do some business up here up front. Uh, I want to throw an idea out at you and have you vote on whether or not we should tackle this. And he, is, he laid out this vision that, that every uh, citizen of all of the Hawaiian islands would hear the name of Jesus. And so they wanted to put on these concerts that would attract people from all over the island and they would travel from island to island to island and doing this. And he said, the reason why I'm asking you to vote on it is because it's extremely expensive, very expensive. And the risk of failure is very high. This may not work. And so I want you to take your ballots and to mark your ballot. 
And when he said that, there was a gentleman that was sitting about right in there on that theater, and he stands up and he shouts, let's do it, right? And I'm going, oh, man, this is going to get interesting, right? And then the whole congregation started shouting in unison, let's do it, let's do it. And this went on for a couple of minutes. And I leaned over to Kathy and I said, this is the most exciting church business meeting I've ever been a part of. I'm voting on something that I don't have a right to vote on. Let's do it, right? It was so exciting. And and Wayne, Pastor Wayne said something at the very end that has forever been etched in my brain. After the crowd died down, he said, you know what I love about you, New Hope? You're not afraid to fail. Never be afraid to fail. And here I am, a seminary student, had one semester left, on the verge of beginning, for lack of a better word, my ministry career, and it forever changed everything about it. It became a mantra of ours. Let's never be afraid to fail. If it's for kingdom work, it's worth the risk, right? Even if we fail at ministry, who cares? (laughs) We're working for the kingdom of God. And so when when it comes to this fear of failure, don't allow the enemy to paralyze you because you're afraid of the results. Risk it all for the kingdom of God. Never be afraid of failure when it comes to God's kingdom. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at trinitytx.org. If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.